Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 97 of X-Lapsed. We are inching closer and closer to the triple digits here. I didn't think we'd ever get this far, but alas, here we are. I mean, we haven't hit 100 yet. I could get hit by lightning today, and it'll never happen, but we'll keep our fingers crossed that that does not happen. Today, we're covering a book that, uh, well, when one mass crossover isn't enough... This issue's got the branding of two, and uh, that'd almost be embarrassing if I thought anyone other than me cared about such a thing. Uh, now, this issue is both part Empire and X of Tens here, so this is an Empire tie-in, as well as being on the path to X of Tens. It's funny, is uh, we talk about event fatigue and... Fans and readers and comics enthusiasts were usually looked at by the pros as uh, imagining things like that, right? There aren't too many events out there. There aren't too many variant covers. Uh, We're not writing for the trade. That's all stuff that's in our feeble little heads. But, uh, I mean, this cover doesn't lie. There are two mass crossover brandings on it. Anyway, let's get right to it. This is X-Men Volume 5, Number 11. Had an October 2020 cover date. The story's called One War, One Mutant. Written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Lionel Francis Yu. Colors, Sonny Go. Letters, VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Bisa White Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale August 26th of 2020. Now we open, and we're on the Arako end of Krakoa. Remember, the islands merged back in the long ago. Where former new X-Men, Loa, Anole, or... Anol, I don't know how you say his name, and Rockslide are peeping on that weirdo summoner, also from back in the long ago, X-Men Volume 5, Number 2. You remember him? Maybe not, because he wasn't all that memorable. But alas, he is here, and he's back. He notices the youngsters, and uh, he invites them over to play a game. Now, this game uses a tree stump and a pebble from the looks of it, and looks wildly fun. It's... A Rakoan in origin, and its name sort of kind of translates. It's a uh, it's an Arako word, but it doesn't have a straight translation, but as close as we can get would be the word trial or test. And the point of this game is to play against someone and find weaknesses. So like I said, this is like a barrel of laughs here. Who wouldn't want to play this game? Now, he offers one of the kids an opportunity to play, and Rockslide, assuming that he has no weaknesses, steps up to the plate, or stump, to play. He's handed the pebble, which crumbles into a Rockslide-shaped little avatar. I'm not sure if this is the summoner's doing or Rockslide himself. I don't know. I don't remember what his powers were. 
Maybe he did this as an, in an attempt to impress the Arakoan weirdo? Don't know. Before the game can begin, however, Krakoa is descended upon by... Veg-type spacecraft. Now, I'm thinking that this uh, f- opening couple of pages here is probably the X of Ten's portion of our issue, because everything from this point on is going to be strictly Empire. So I'm guessing this little weirdo summoner deal has to do with Exotens, which doesn't fill me with uh, a lot of optimism, but uh, we'll put a pin in that. Let's do our roll call here. We got Rockslide, Loa, Anol, and Summoner, who we will never see again this issue. Then Exodus, Magneto, Magic, Magma, and Iceman. Double page spread of creds, of course. Info pages, two entire text pages. Sorry, no. Not doing it. Back to Krakoa, and we're a day later. Exodus is conducting his little catechism class with some younger mutants. He asks them if they're afraid of death and or dying. To which, I mean, they must be reading the same books we are because they're not, you know? Uh, one of them does have a Quentin Quire haircut, so he's probably well aware of how quick and easy it is to overcome death. I mean, you'd rather die than get a hangnail on Krakoa because... Death would, uh, you'd pass through death quicker. Now, Exodus prompts them to think on this harder. You know, dying ain't a big thing, but the cause of death is still there. It's still around. And so the children proclaim that, while they're not afraid of death, they are afraid of man and those like man. They ask why, hey, why haven't the mutants just put a stop to man? To which Exodus suggests that if they were to snuff out humanity, they'd be no better than they are. He asks the children to live their lives and to let the grown-ups worry about progress. He then goes on to share the story of what happened that day, which is to say when the veg-type spacecrafts came. Gotta say, I'm really enjoying this take on Exodus and his uh, his little his weird little uh, Sunday school gatherings. I'm I'm digging that, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that toward the end of the episode, but. Really liking it. So, Exodus begins his story, and so we flash back to the arrival of those veg types. As that's happening, Magic and Gorgon burst into Magneto's quarters, which interrupts his uh, naked meditation time. Uh, They warn of incoming, and they explain that Captain Commander Cyclops is currently on the moon dealing with some of this present threat. Magic asks if Magneto's old ass is up for a fight, and he's all about it. He even, despite the cover showing us otherwise, he dresses in his old red and purples. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be symbolic. Maybe he doesn't get his hands dirty while wearing his old white gear. Dunno. I'd, uh, I'd probably have to research to verify, and uh, I really don't feel like it at the moment. We'll just assume that there's some sort of ceremony to wearing this outfit. Anywho, from here, we actually enter our endgame. Yeah, really. We're already at the end of the issue, kinda. I mean, it's this scene is going to play us all the way through. Now, Magneto has the Stepford Cuckoos interface with several prominent mutants on and around Krakoa in order to triangulate a response to these veg-type invaders. And we do get a gag here, where Magneto calls a cuckoo by the wrong name, which admittedly was kind of funny, until they repeated the same exact gag exactly one panel later. Uh, I think I've made the assertion somewhere on these airwaves that, uh, like, the worst thing someone can do is laugh at a kid's joke. Because then, for the rest of the day, 
they keep telling like the same joke or variations on the same joke and expecting the same response. That's what this feels like. Like Hickman had himself a chuckle at that line he wrote, and so he decided, hey, let's dip right back into that well again because if it was so funny the first time, it's just going to knock people's socks off the second time in as many panels. Not the case, unfortunately. Now, here is where we see everything that's going on. Like I said, Magneto is like uh, using the cuckoos to work with these mutants to triangulate some sort of a defensive measure against the veg types here. So we see that through Sage, they've taken control of several weather satellites up in orbit. We've got one cuckoo with Black Tom, who is Black Tomming, using veg to fight veg. Another cuckoo is with Iceman, who's readying for his call to action. And then finally, we have a cuckoo with Magma. And she's found, and she's put into telepathic communication with Magneto. Magneto then asks Magma if she has the ability to set off a Krakoan volcano. It's something that he had uh, assigned to her earlier, and he wanted to see if there was any progress on it. And she's all about it. Bada-bing, the lava starts to flow. Iceman is then brought in to cool it all down to the point where it shatters. It becomes very brittle, shatters into shards. This gives Magneto, like, thousands of little metallic-tipped projectiles with which he, well, he skewers the veggies. He makes a, he makes a vegetarian shish kebab here because he is just skewering all of them. Now, off to the side, we see the veg commander who's currently in the middle of snapping Toad's neck, so we got a death. Magneto then confronts the big bad and offers him the opportunity to leave with his life. It's one of those, you know, if you pack up your crap and leave right now, we'll let you go peaceably. The veggie ain't keen on that, and he challenges Magneto to a fight. To which, we get two pages of Magneto repeatedly dropping those weather satellites directly onto the alien. It's really a very good scene, uh, both in writing and art. Uh, Lionel Yu, despite not always being my cup of tea, he absolutely kills it here. Literally and figuratively, I suppose, with this uh, poor alien getting satellites dropped on his head. But uh, really, really good stuff. Um, The scene is nearly ruined by another attempt at comedy regarding how some of these satellites belong to the military. Which military? Whose military? Who knows? We wrap up with Exodus, who asks the children what their hero's name is, to which they all reply, Magneto. Exodus then asks what Magneto is, to which they all reply, Mutant. And that's that. Next episode, we're dipping back into Cable, with Cable number four already, which, hey, I'm happy about that. But let's talk about what we learned here, and uh, I gotta say it, this is how you do an Empire tie-in. This single issue really should have been the only time the X-Men crossed over into the event. You know, make this an extra-sized issue. Give us a few pages of Vulcan taking care of business on the moon to set it up like we had last issue. Leave out all the drowning their sorrows and and self-medicating, all that kind of angst. Get rid of it. Just have Vulcan doing his thing. Then have the the veg types come to Krakoa and have Magneto just... You know, hot knife through butter at these awful, boring, generic aliens. This was good. This was a really, really good issue. Surprisingly good. The fact that I enjoyed it is great, at least to me. But being an idiot who worries about things that don't matter, you know, uh, my mind keeps going back to something we talked about either when we talked about Empire X-Men number one or number two, and that was uh, the rules that Alan Moore wrote for how to do a mass crossover. 
And uh, not that any of it matters, but it's something that pops into my mind from, you know, time to time. And so I keep asking myself if overall, since thankfully this will be the final time we ever, ever touch on Empire, unless they announce a sequel, was this a successful mass crossover? Personally speaking, no, no. Did reading this issue of X-Men, which I really, really enjoyed, I want to make sure that's clear, did this issue of X-Men make me want to go check out the main Empire series? Hell no. No. Hell no. In fact, when looking at our roll call page for this very issue, I was clued in on some Empire stuff I didn't know anything about. In that, uh, this, uh, threat has something to do with Commander Hulkling. Really now? No. No, no matter how hard Marvel tried, and I suppose continues to try, to shove these young Avenger characters down our throats, they're never not going to be horrendously dull to me. I wasn't a fan when they were introduced. I, I tried again during the, the Children's Crusade. I've, I've tried uh, during the Marvel Now relaunches or reboots, whatever the hell they were. Never did it for me. Never did it for me. They seemed like very, very try-hard characters that I just don't need in my reading rotation. So there's another reason why I will never read Empire. So outside of that, and the Empire branding overall, I gotta say this was a heck of an issue and a heck of a showcase for both Magneto as well as Exodus. I mean, let's be perfectly straight here. Magneto is just awesome here, right? He just kicks ass and and takes names, as cliche as that sounds. He does it. He just really just... We see him as a master, you know... Strategist, strategist, however you say that, um, and he backs it up with his uh, with his powers. Really awesome scenes here. Possibly the best use of Magneto that we've seen so far in Dawn of X. And Exodus, with his little Sunday school circle, wonderfully creepy. And I, I have no idea what the end game with him is, but I can't wait to see it. Something I do want to say though is. Uh, I guess we can look at it in a couple of different ways here. In one way, it's as though he's indoctrinating these children, right? He's basically got them chanting, you know? He's uh, he's passing on information and having them react to it. Kind of a slippery slope. And uh, current year, present day, however you want to say it, contemporarily, there's a lot of talk about institutionalized indoctrination in higher education these days, at least here in America. And while I hate to make blanket statements, there are elements of truth to those conversations. Again, not a blanket statement. But I am and have been a student for the past decade. I went back to, I went back to college in 2011, so this is 10 years that I'm in school now. Uh, and I study what many refer to as a soft science in psychology, where in certain situations, a lot of the education is predicated on whatever the point of view of your professor is. Which is to say, there are educators out there who are more interested in passing on their own social and political views than anything else. Not passing judgment, that's a very human thing to do, right? I'm, you know, I'm trying to give folks the benefit of the doubt here. But certainly there are agendas at play some of the time. Now that's the real world, right? A professor trying to sway a student's worldview perhaps in hopes of getting them to register as a voter for a certain political party or become a donor to a certain social or political cause or a certain career cementing cause, maybe. But here on Krakoa, 
in the in the even realer world, right? It's hard to view this as a one-to-one sort of thing because everything Exodus is saying, I mean, he's not trying to convince anyone of anything. All he's doing is speaking the truth. I mean, in the Marvel Universe, we know and we've seen and we've experienced that there are a lot of people who want mutants dead. That's legitimate. You know, there are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. What Exodus is telling these children isn't through a prism of trying to put together a narrative. It's basically what's happening, right? We know that in many situations here, might makes right, because it's sometimes the only defense that actually registers with the X-Men's aggressors. But here's the thing. I I get the feeling, and and it might just be me, but I feel as though we're supposed to view Exodus as a kind of zealot or an extremist via his this presentation. You know, having these small group sessions with some young and malleable mutant minds, he's preaching to them and he's encouraging chants. You know, who is your hero? Magneto, Magneto. You know, he's having them really respond in a almost culty sort of way. And I get the impression that we're supposed to see him as being extreme and maybe going too far. But given the situation and everything going on around them in this fantastical world, he isn't doing anything more than giving them a recitation of actual events, right? If anything, it's dry commentary based on extraordinary events. It's weird. I like it, but it's weird. I'm, I'm not sure how we're supposed to be receiving these scenes. Are we supposed to be like, oh, is he, what? He's, he's really pushing an agenda here, or... Do we actually pay attention to the words that he's saying? And it's like, well, this is actually what happened, you know? We've got kids who are no longer afraid of death, but he's trying to tell them that they have they have no reason to stop being afraid overall. Which, somebody should be telling the kids this, right? Um, I don't know, it's very weird. It's very interesting, though. I, I, I will hand this to Hickman. This is a wonderfully done uh, bit in Exodus... I'd love to see more of them from this point on. This is great stuff. Now, we did have our opening scene here, which, if I had to assume, is our X of Tens moment of the issue, like I mentioned. Uh, I see that the Weirdo Summoner is on the cover of the next issue of X-Men, number 12, which I want to say is one of the part zeros of X of Tens, like the prelude to, I think it's X-Men 12 and Excalibur number 12. So yeah, I mean, that strange cold open that we got here probably had something to do with that. I'll withhold judgment, as we really don't get all that much. It's really just a reminder that, hey, that weirdo summoner is on the island somewhere. Fair play, right? Overall, great issue. Great issue, and if you ask me, this should have been the X-Book's only foray into Empire. It told us everything we needed to know, and it let the X-Men look like badass heroes for the first time in a while. Without stupid crap like Explodey Boy and the Scarlet Witch getting involved. So, really, really good issue. Uh, highly recommended. Um, we need more issues of X-Men that are like this. Uh, really, really good. Really good stuff. But with that out of the way, this is the final number 11 from the Wave 1 books. So let's do our power rankings here. Now, number 1 is a book that we had a little bit of discussion about over the past couple of episodes, and that is Marauders. I thought it was a very strong issue. Um, 
listener Jesse DeJong raised some very, very um, salient points about why the issue maybe didn't work quite as well as maybe I thought it did at first. But it was still the strongest issue of these uh, number 11s, which I don't know if that says anything for the rest of the uh, line, but uh, I found myself coming away from that issue uh, most optimistic. Um, Now, number two would be this very issue of X-Men, and it was pretty close, which shocked me because I think... I think X-Men's been at the bottom of the list for the past few of these uh, power rankings here, but like I said, for the past however many minutes, very, very strong issue here of X-Men. Really enjoyed it. X-Force comes in third. New Mutants comes in fourth. It feels like we read New Mutants like 100 days ago. Um, That one was the final part of the Carnelia event with, uh, boy, the Reality Warper, whose name I cannot remember. The one with the braces the hell's her name? I don't know. You know who I'm talking about if you know who I'm talking about. If not, pretty much everything I've said is probably nonsense anyway. The worst book of the number 11s was Excalibur, which is weird because I think Excalibur was the number one book of the number 10s, but number 11 was a weird one. Um, Another one of those Excalibur issues where it feels like we missed some stuff, right? Uh, it's one of those where you pick it up and you think you missed an issue or I forgot to review one or whatever, just discuss one. Cause I don't do reviews. Reviews are, are way above my ability. I don't have that kind of ability, but, uh, yes, Marauders was number one. X-Men was a close number two. X-Force was three, four was New Mutants and rounding it out was Excalibur. If anybody would like to share their thoughts on their uh, power rankings for the number 11s, please feel free to uh, do so. Send me a message, send me an email. We'll go through all the contact stuff at the end of the show. Now, speaking of contact, let's dip into the mailbag here. We're going to start with Damien, who's discussing Uncanny X-Men number 341 from 1997, part of the Merry X-Lapse series of shows. Damien says, I always thought I had loads of X-Men Christmas stories in my collection, but you seem to have found another one that I've never read. I left the X-Men immediately after Age of Apocalypse and definitely missed this one. It's a fun little story, but I don't think it's quite as good as the last one. In some ways, it's more Christmassy as it's thematically focused on family. And this is one that I missed out on the first, uh, my first go-round as well, because I stopped reading the books probably... Four or five months after the Age of Apocalypse, I'd, uh, that, that's a story I've told a million times before, so I won't bore you again. So I didn't read this one until uh, picking it up in a, in a back issue bin. It's one that's definitely more in my wheelhouse than the uh, previous issue with Rockefeller Center, the uh, X-Men number 98, but I, I'll definitely concede that that one is a stronger issue overall. Uh, this one I like for... It's it's kind of the rose-colored glasses or the ruby quartz-colored glasses, I suppose, that I'm looking through to uh, to view it because this was just it pinged so many boxes for me. Uh, whereas the one that we read earlier, X Men '98, feels more like a piece of history than an actual story at times because I think just the reverence that I have personally for those early Claremont issues. Um, it almost feels more than a story, which, I mean, is silly, but uh, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird demarcation and, a, and a, just where I put it as opposed to just a regular story. It's, it's weird Chris stuff. Probably best not to worry about it. 
Damien continues, I've previously stated that I always found Rogue and Gambit to be a weird couple. It felt like Rogue's personality was completely altered when she was paired with Gambit. You would think I would, I would be glad to see her paired with Joseph, but I found that equally uncomfortable, mainly because of the age difference between Rogue and Magneto. I know Joseph was eventually revealed not to be Magneto, but he was intended to be him when this was written. In Claremont's later issues, Rogue is referred to as a teenager, and Magneto is revealed to have been 15 in 1940. At the very least, Magneto is 45 years older than Rogue. And yeah, um, it's funny, because uh, it's one of those things where you feel like it might have been born out of the marketing wing of Marvel more than anything. Uh, especially, I mean, this is 1997, uh, so in the mid-90s, all we hear is about the editorial interference and how marketing would get involved and they would make stories go longer than maybe they should. You know, Clone Saga, you know, stuff like that. And part of me wonders, and part of me wondered when, uh, when, Ga when not Gambit, when Joseph first appeared, if we were dealing with the Age of Apocalypse Magneto, who, while, you know, still the same age as our Magneto, was portrayed as being so much younger. Uh, a lot less stodgy, I guess, and more of a contemporary to characters like Rogue and Gambit. I wonder if that was the idea behind Joseph, even down to, like, the extremely long hair, and felt very much like they were trying to recapture the Rogue and Magneto marriage from the Age of Apocalypse here, and even going as far as to have Magneto, or Joseph, and Rogue being able to kiss on top of the Twin Towers, uh, even though it was through all, uh, you know, a device doohickey sort of deal. It made me think, and even now reading it, it's like, I wonder if that's what they were going for. I wonder if if marketing saw, you know, the AOA characters and were just like, let's put those two together. And it's like, well, that won't work here. We'll figure out a way. <laughs> and uh, this is the best they could do. But the reveal um, during, I think it was during the Magneto War or the Magneto Wars. I don't remember which one it was. The reveal was, well, I, wasn't, I won't say kind of a letdown. It was a complete letdown because we had a lot of theories. This was one of those Usenet deals, right? We thought Joseph might be the AOA Magneto. We also thought that Joseph might be Rogue and <laughs> Magneto's son from the Age of Apocalypse, which would be very, very gross uh, because of his attraction to his uh, mother from a different dimension. But there were a lot of theories, and uh, that was part of the fun. And when it was ultimately revealed, and I, I, I guess I shouldn't feel weird about spoiling something a, so old, and B, that nobody cares about. They made they made it very clear, because everybody's mind went to, oh, it's going to be a clone. He's going to be a clone of Magneto. And we were told, no, no, Joseph is not a clone of Magneto. He's a copy of Magneto. And we were supposed to try to figure out what the difference between a clone and a copy was. We were, we were assured that there was a difference. I couldn't tell you what that difference is, but... Uh, that was the uh, the running gag for a little while. It's like, no, 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 he's not a clone. He's a copy. But uh, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your thoughts on that issue there, Damien, uh, and for checking out all of the Merry X Lapsed fun. It really, really means a lot to me. Uh, next, Andrew Franklin is going to give some thoughts on Phoenix Resurrects Lapsed, which is the Sunday special we've had for the past month or so, taking a look at Phoenix Resurrection, the return of Jean Grey from uh, Legacy-era Marvel. And he says, 
Well, that certainly was an ending to a story. I thought the first four-fifths of Phoenix Resurrection was fine. The surreal nature of the diner and what was happening with Jean, while not breaking new ground, did have me wanting to know how it would wrap up. It's hard to pull off a story where the how it happens is interesting when the audience already knows the outcome. The conclusion really ruined it, though. Did that need five issues? That story could have been told in a 48-page special. Like you said, in hindsight, it makes sense that this is badly remembered. Typical Marvel padding out so they can get your $25 and a nice price trade collecting it all. Yeah. Yeah, uh, truer words, right? Um, this... I... It's... It's one of those um, where... I went into it with such low expectations Because I I didn't know Matthew Rosenberg I never read anything of his Um, And in my head I had it that where And I mean this isn't fair to anybody Who was uh, toiling on the X-Books But in my head I had it to where Marvel was putting lesser creators Or less experienced creators on the X-Books As a tryout Because they cared so little About whether or not the X-Books were successful 100% 100% projection, right? Just where my mind goes. I'm a, I'm a cynic and an idiot. So I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't expecting much. And I want to say the only, you know, post-Phoenix Resurrection, pre-Hoxpox gene that I read was in an X-Men Red annual where she... I, I don't know if is it her or Nightcrawler who refers to a hot dog as like... Like meat byproducts and hate Or something like that It was so bad So bad But uh, I wasn't expecting much Is what I'm trying to say So the first three issues Just knocked my socks off They were really really good Built a wonderful mystery Fourth issue a little wobbly Fifth issue uh, Yeah (laughs) It was a It was a conversation with a bird That was it Gene told the bird to go away And the bird said Alright And the bird left And Gene was alive again Really uh, let down But like Andrew said here It's like uh, How are you going to wrap it up <laughs> In a, in a uh, satisfying sort of way And and you're 100% right This could have been told In a oversized special For sure This didn't need What would we say About 100 pages We'll say uh, charitably 100 pages We didn't need 100 pages for this story uh, over, f- over the course of uh, 5 weeks Thankfully this was a weekly um, because I couldn't imagine waiting for this month to month And then after five months getting that as our resolution here It's kind of a no-win situation for the creative team, unfortunately Because it's, you gotta get there, but how do you get there? And you do the best you can, I guess And when you're told, as I'm sure they are, that you're filling five issues Well, I guess you gotta just do what you do Andrew continues On a side note, I'm so sick of the Phoenix Force. Few things make me as uninterested as its inclusion in a story. I see on the internet that Marvel's next or current or their tenth simultaneous crossover event has to do with the Phoenix Force empowering various Marvel heroes and that, quote, things will never be the same. Disgusted sigh. Yeah, yes. Um, I'm very, very embarrassed right now because... The other day, I went to the comic shop to buy Deadpool Volume 8, Number 6, because it does tie into, or it's an unofficial tie into our Dawn of X books. And while I was there at the shop, 
I looked over on the new release shelf And Avengers number 40 was there Avengers volume, I don't know, 600, number 40 And it said on the cover, Enter the Phoenix And I looked at it and I'm like, ah, are they doing like a variant cover month with the Phoenix? No, 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 this is, as Andrew said A Phoenix Force story happening in Avengers And I bought the first issue of it because I'm an idiot And, yeah, not my favorite Um, (laughs) It's funny, you know, I complain a lot on this show About our roll call and double page spread of creds, you know Avengers doesn't have that, and it needs it Because I could barely tell you any of the characters in this book It is just such a different book than where I left it I can't even remember when I left Avengers books Before Secret Wars, probably But I I didn't recognize half the team And it was just a real disaster But, uh, yeah, I bought it I'm not going to buy the second part But, uh, yeah, I did buy it Because... I thought, hey, maybe this is something we could talk about on the show Hey, maybe this will tie in with something And I, I don't want to be at a that big a disadvantage When, like, in the next month's previews It's like, oh, it's going to be Marauders Enter the Phoenix Part 1 of 6 It's like, oh, I probably should know what's going on But, yeah, not going to do it Not going to do it uh, Andrew wraps up with Anyway, I've really enjoyed these Sunday specials And I'm looking forward to whatever comes next Thank you so much, and uh, so am I, even though I'm not sure what's coming next And uh, I'm recording this on Wednesday, I think it's Wednesday So, uh, yeah, I don't have much time to think about it and to to create cover art But we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll see what it is But uh, thank you so much And we're going to wrap up with a letter from uh, our friend Mark, Green Lantern HG And it's a Merry Christmas missive um, which was the reason I'm getting to this one so late Is because it was in the other email that I got locked out of So had to have him send it to the other one So I apologize for you know, reading a Christmas message here on Well, if this goes out on time, January 7th So we'll pretend we're in a country that celebrates Christmas in the middle of January Nimog says, Merry Christmas, Chris I hope you and your family had a wonderful Christmas I had a couple of days off and I'm finally caught up on every episode I know I make that sound like a chore, but it's the opposite This last two weeks have been so busy and weird that the only mental getaway I had was podcasts. So I wanted to check in and tell you that I've been enjoying every episode. I know I haven't had the chance to chime in on every one, but I'm listening. Well, thank you so much, because uh, I know it gets crazy, and uh, we all get busy. Life happens is is something that uh, we all all say. Um, So it really means a lot to me that you'd... uh, that you check in when you do And that you and that you listen It uh, really, really means a lot to me Mark continues Also, you still have me working hard On the soundtrack of my life That I've had a couple of long nights working hard Keep up the great work, Chris And I say this a lot, but I really do mean it This has been a year full of awful And the only things keeping me sane Are family, friends, and podcasts Which, truth be told, are the same Thank you, that really, really means a lot, Mark I'm so happy that you're following along here And I hope you and yours had a wonderful holiday A wonderful Christmas as well A safe new year and all that good stuff And here is to, uh, here's to better days, right? Let's, uh, let's keep our fingers crossed Let's try, let's try not to, not to bump or break anything We'll, we'll just, we'll be nice and qu- We'll be as quiet as baby mice And hope for the best So, thank you so much Thank you to everybody 
And uh, if anybody would like to reach out, you could do so a couple of different ways, of course. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Ace Comics or at 90sxmen at gmail.com or weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com because, hey, I got back in. Um, you can check out blog posts and show notes, almost five years worth of blog posts every single day over at Chris's on Infinite Earths.com. We've also got the X-Lapsed page, just xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, which is a mouthful, but eh. Um, you could talk to us on Facebook about whatever the hell you want over at 90s X-Men, and you can listen to the entire Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that's where we'll leave it for today. So psyched that we had such a good issue of, uh, of all Volume 5 here. It's, I was not expecting it, so very, very happy that we uh, had a good one here and that uh, it gave us so much to talk about, gave us uh, some good stuff to chat about. So I want to thank you all for hanging out with me today and sharing your time. And uh, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.